Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed plus lots of bonus content including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A so do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so maybe even strangers in the street love you Okay, uh, quick quiz. Which football star from the 90s, who's now a, a big football television personality, could give you a doctrine on the causes of the Second World War? Is this the same guy who'd like to forge a televised peacekeeping mission between Alpha Inge Haaland and, and Roy Keane? Is, is he the same guy that can get... Jürgen Klopp to sing live on television? It is. It's Jan Uge Fjortoft, legend of Rapid Vienna, but more pertinently to some of those who are fans of the big interview, a little legend of Middlesbrough and, and Barnsley and Swindon. But also a successful relegation escaper with Eintracht Frankfurt, World Cup star of 94. Now an extraordinary interviewer after football matches, notably big Champions League matches all around the continent. Janoga Fjortoft is extremely articulate, extremely bright. You will be pinned back by this interview. I found him wonderful company. As a first-hand witness... I can testify that his skills in the mixed zone or the flash zone, as they're called, after big matches, they're simply tip-top. He demonstrates where those skills come from here. And this, I promise you, is one of the best interviews you'll hear all year. It's the big interview. I'm Graham Hunter. Coming up is part one of Jan Uge Fjortoft. Listeners and now viewers with this modern technology that I don't understand, but viewers and listeners, the big interview is is blessed 
today to have somebody who, who led a very good club and international career and is now, from my perspective, doing very startling things in a football broadcasting career. We've got Jan Olga Fjortoft with us today. Jan, first of all, thank you from for joining us from the local library, or is this your pro- professorial department in the university? It's very impressive, indeed. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. And uh, now I'm in my, like a lot of other people around the world. I'm in my home office, and uh, since I started with my football career, I I collected books. So over the years, I, I got. Too many, so I've given a lot of away, but I uh, still got some of them behind me. Do you find that having a book in your hand, like for example, I'm of an age that when I once went for a, a production interview um, at Arsenal, we had Santi Casorla and Diaby and the young uh, defender uh, Jenkinson, I think he was, who, who could play for Finland. We, we, we showed them; they had to pick out LP covers, and they had their names on them and they had to file through it and it was for B-roll and at the end it looked really good and they all did this and they looked at it and at the end I just a little instinct said to me I said to these guys do you know what those are and they didn't know what vinyl was they didn't know what an LP was they'd, they'd never experienced it we're now in an era where you and I covet books and, and to have a book and to open it hold it and put a place mark in it or, but all the kids are reading on their mobile phone or they're reading on their iPads and, and books are, are less in fashion. What, what does a book make you feel, apart from the quality of the writing? Are, are books as physical objects things you love and are they important to you? When I played football, until, until we got the iPhone, I was a great book reader. Uh, I, I read a lot of books. I always had books with me. I still do. But I don't of, often open them anymore. So the last half year, I, I wanted to take that up again. Uh, and it's a very, I see my kids as well now. They, they are part of uh, like uh, friends who say they're going to read so and so many books during a, a year. My, my uh, oldest daughter, she got unbelievable uh, ambitions to do that and I thought I, I should start as well to, to, to kind of do that again I think what a book do, does to you is nowadays it's it's very important because when you're on the iPhone it's no problem to kill two hours on an iPhone there is there's so many ways and there's so many when the languages I mean I, I can do my German thing I can do my English and the Norwegian thing so I can go all the way but I think that when you get a book that kind of takes you when you just can't and it's an old cliche but if you can't let the book go away from you a book, a book is unbelievable so I've uh, I'm up to two now so uh, and we're only 15th of January so I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay at the moment when, when you were a player and you, you always had a book what, what types of things were you reading and in the clubs where you were formed as you were coming through did you have to be careful about what types of book other guys saw you reading? Because certainly in the British culture, it, it, it was not a good thing to be caught reading a book or a big newspaper. What about for you? No, it's a good question because I, I think there is a lot of things that you... There, is a, there are some myths around football players, some of the true, some of the not true. But yeah, absolutely. I, I, I didn't have a lot of players that I can discuss my, for example, my historical books that I read. I'm, I'm a political nerd. So if I, if, if I would do a, a quiz and I would have to choose between football and poli- politics, I would go for politics. And I've always read books. And when I came, for example, to Austria when I was 22, it was all about 
try to understand, first of all, Austrian football and then the Austrian history. Uh, I'm also a, a guy who is, is very hungry after uh, all the information is, uh, around Second World War. To, uh, to ask me which books I like to read, I, I'm like a lot of people, I start with the easy ones. I, will, I, I would then start with biographies that kind of inspired me going into to inspire me what what uh, these persons had done uh, but I also had my share of football books but I'm 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 a bit off that now I don't read the last football book I read which was more the leadership was from Sir Alex Ferguson the last book he had I think that was a uh, very interesting to see how he took this experience from his football life and took that that into kind of a a business context I think that was very interesting the last book I read now uh, two last books I've read now is one biography about Maxwell, the media mogul who uh, disappeared. That was interesting to, yeah, yeah, it was interesting to see how he he kind of ruined his life and people around him. Uh, and an- another book about uh, Norwegians who's been in the service of KGB. So that that is my two last books. If you're a political nerd, then either then or now, which political figure? We live in an age where. Politics is now a dirty word when it shouldn't be. Politics is not seen as an area where you go into to better your society, your community or your country. It's often, not always, seen as a way to get ahead, to, to get fame. Or, But I guess you don't simply read political biographies of those who failed or cheated. I guess you've come across biographies that have utterly inspired you. So which, if you had to have a, a dinner table... And from your reading, you could pick four political figures who genuinely have inspired you. Would you have four or have I asked too much? Well, well, first of all, I think it's interesting that the topics that you discuss, because yes, you have books that inspire you, but it's also important to make good analysis is to understand people that you don't agree with. And there is a lot of uh, people now saying that this is truth and there is a there is a exclusivity on truth as a lot of people would have. So so I don't support the, the line to only listen to the people that I, that I agree with. Uh, I, 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 I look for literature. I look for to understand more people that I don't agree with. I think that is much more interesting because the, the guys who have the same opinions like me, well, I know them. That's like myself. So so that, that is interesting. I think it's also interesting to see from different countries what kind of political guys or, or types you bring in. And it was Winston Churchill who said that uh, democracy is bad, but if you compare it with all other governing uh, systems, it's, it's not bad. This is the best, best we have. And I think that is that is uh, rightly so um, uh, to understand. And and if I put myself in an interview situation, I would I would much rather interview someone that I disagree big time to understand what it's all about. So I, I would be afraid to say which four or five I would have around <laughs> around the table. I would I would certainly have um, uh, Nelson Mandela there. Uh, and not, not because he, he was at the end, he was one of the most famous people on the earth, but his uh, way of forgiving, uh, I would have him there. I would also have Mikhail Gorbachev, a uh, communist that made uh, Perestroika and Glasnost and everything possible. So I would start there and then I would build around there with, with people that... Uh, that Angela Merkel, I would absolutely put there. Angela Merkel, who was over the years, started her political career when she was 35 and so on. So these are more the figures I would look for. There'd be no place for quizzling there. 
uh, interesting uh, questioning uh, because I could, I could have used him because I spent a lot of time how Norway could create a monster. For, for those of you who don't understand Quisling, Quisling was a big traitor who is now the most, is a word in English dictionary uh, as a traitor. And there is, um, there is a, a, gr- a great cartoon because Quisling visited um, Hitler many times and he came to the door and the cartoon said, I am Quisling. And they said, yes, we know, but what's your name? Uh, so, so it's interesting to see how how a monster, and yes, you have to call them a monster, how that could be built in a quite small, cosy country as Norway. I think that is very interesting. I read a lot about Vidkun Quisling. Is it a cosy country? Because geographically, in the time that you're so interested in around the World War, it, it was of such significance that there was a big battle over it. You are so culturally open and you spent so much time in the country that Neil and Martin and I grew up in, you're aware of the immediate stereotypes we have of Norway. And some of us know a lot about Norway. And I played football with a lot of Norwegians at uni because they came to study um, civil engineering or naval engineering, which Glasgow was big for, etc. But how would you describe your country and your upbringing in your country in ways that would maybe change our perception or educate us a little bit? Because you know already what a lot of the things... Brits automatically think about Norway and Norwegians. Well, I think it's quite interesting when you see the soul of a nation, when you see the thoughts of a nation. When, when you see, for example, Norway not part of EU, uh, we were always having a big uh, discussion in going to NATO after after the Second World War. And it's quite interesting. Uh, the, one of the most famous uh, author in the world called Henrik Ibsen is a Norwegian. And he, and he traveled away from Norway because he didn't like that kind of a small country way of thinking, which is normal. So what you can say about Norway is we are, we're only 5 million people. Uh, but if you take Norway and turn it around, I mean, geographically, it's, it's from Oslo to our north, the most northern point. Then we go to Rome the other way. So if you can imagine that Norway is so much more. We, we are a coast nation, which means that we have always had adventurous uh, the going back to the Vikings, going back to the people who to went to America, like the Irish especially did uh, in the beginning of the 1900, 19th century. Uh, but sometimes the good thing about bad thing about Norway, I lived 12 years abroad. I travel a lot. So I think then I have a, a way of seeing all the good things about Norway. The, the good thing that we, we, we tend to look after each other. We rego- that is, it's possible to have an overview because we don't have a lot of people. We had a lot of space. Uh, on the other hand, after we got oil and gas in the 70s, and I'm, I'm a son of an of a oil captain, so, so this is a part of my uh, legacy. But after that, I mean, we, we have sometimes a too, um, too much confidence. We think that, uh, as you're saying, I don't think people in the UK or in Germany did, or I know that they don't know a lot about Norway, but we, we kind of feel that everybody knows about us. I guess that's why we have enough money to buy any country to be a typical Norwegian. Uh, but uh, so, so we are very open and sometimes, in my opinion, a bit naive. But that is also our strength. We are a bit naive. We, we tend to, to solve things. And, and during the Second World War, Norway was very important because of our coast. We are very proud of our uh, uh, world, uh, world War uh, nation. And as everybody else, we use that to, to kind of build our story. But we were always 
linked to Western. We are very close to UK. We are very close to USA. But at the same time, we are one of the few countries uh, uh, of our atmosphere that we have a border to Soviet Union and then later to Russia. So I think that is kind of created this uh, middle position. And that's why the Norwegians always try to be involved in peace missions and all that, because we are a small nation with a lot of money. So we will always be invited. And people know that we can't do a big thing, but we can kind of uh, contribute to those things. I'm, I'm a very proud Norwegian. Uh, but I'm also a very proud European. So, uh, uh, and I've lived in four different countries. And, and when I was in Austria, I was in, in, in one, lived in England and lived in, in Germany. And that is also a part of my personality. So, so I would, I, I would, I would say that that's one of the reasons I, I love traveling around. Uh, look, I'm going to be the worst, um, type of interviewer and possibly a sort of, uh, 1970s BBC um, light entertainment guy by picking up on your Beck's reference I was going to ask a different question I was going to show you my pain my, 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 my disgust about the the winning goal you scored in Vienna to knock Aberdeen out of, of Europe which uh, you know still lives me to this day but nonetheless because you mentioned peacekeeping I have to go to one of our socios we've, we've got socio members who've stuck with us for six years and who are loyal and they're our friends and they're like season ticket holders. And Tom Lee is one, a really interesting, uh, articulate, widely read guy like, like you. And Tom Lee says, hi, Graham. Uh, Jan started in what was a febrile game between Swindon Town and Manchester United way back in March 94. What are his recollections of that day? And, and this is where Tom has his tongue in his cheek, I'm sure. Especially the moment everybody remembers, namely Eric Cantona accidentally stepping on John Munker and unfairly incurring a red card. The tableau, the sketch pad is yours, Jan. It was your experience and you've got a dog named after a Manchester United player. So what else could I do except for go to Swindon versus Manchester United? Yeah, it was it's a great game. I mean, uh, uh, when, I, when, I, when I kind of sum up my football career, I would love to have played for Liverpool or Manchester United or Chelsea, one of, one of the big, big clubs. But I've been fortunate uh, still in my career to played for two clubs in English football who had just one year in the Premier League, and I was there. That was Swindon Town and Barnsley. So when I came to, to, to Swindon, I mean, you, you can imagine and you see some of those clubs still when Bournemouth are up and, and things like that, Brighton now coming back to, to, the, to, the, to the top table. And you, you can't just imagine the proudness of, of these clubs being in the Premiership. And the ultimate game was, of course, against Manchester United. And the ultimate game... Uh, play them at home because then you think you had a chance and that was a fantastic game. The, ga the game ended 2-2, by the way. I scored a goal. Uh, Luke Nyholt, the Dutch friend of mine, scored the other one. But it's, it, like you said, remember for the for the Eric Cantona where he stamped at John Moncur and this was a period of Eric Cantona's career that he got a lot of red cards. Uh, I think that he just got one the weekend after uh, and then got a big suspension. But it was funny because I remember... Uh, this happened. County ground is a small, intimidated, uh, very intim uh, football ground. And people went ballistic because he did that. And so I went over and, and I was one of my strengths in my career. I was always seeing things from outside, if I try to explain that. Because I was, 
I was never in white, white in a, in, involved in a, in, a, in a fight or anything. I was always, I was seeing that and I was a part of it. So, so I nearly started laughing because I thought it was so interesting because, because people were like fighting in and around. But Cantona standing there, with, as I remember, with his shirt. So the calmest boy in town, uh, just waiting, of course, getting a red card, sent off, went through the counter ground gate, which was one of the tightest, smallest uh, uh, gates of them all. So great day, 2-2. I remember another thing for that game because I scored against Peter Smeichel, which was, was quite cool because I met Peter a couple of times and I made introduction to him on tel- television. I've always said... Um, that, uh, that you probably won more titles and all the no people I know put together, but I still scored against you, my friend. And uh, but after the game, we started. Swindon started as the youngest team, one of the youngest team in the Premiership. But then John John Gorman brought in Laurie Sanchez, Neil Webb, Terry Fenwick, Brian Kilcline. So we were like we were like the the the, the company uh, team of an elderly home in Swindon. I'm Frank McAvenny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, Frank McAvenny. Yeah, and what a man he was. One of one of the funniest guys I've ever played with. Fantastic uh, uh, character. And yeah, so after the game, Laurie Sanchez came to me. We we did two two, which was good for us. And then he said to me, Jan. Was it you or me scoring the goals? <laughs> this is the goal. And I said, how old are you? You can't even remember a game. <laughs> so, so that was a, a great experience. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It might be too soon, but I'm going <clears> to <throat> venture out on a branch because, you know, a, a friend that you played with, and a friend that you stay closely associated with now, Harland, had his career really, if not finished, and badly curtailed by a man that you played against that day, Roy Keane. And I just wonder, given that you're an intelligent man, an open-minded man, a thinking man, 
How would you sum up your experiences of, of playing against him, seeing him as a fellow player, watching him now as, as a pundit, seeing the vendetta he had against your friend, what he did? What, how, what rounded description and, 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 and picture do you have of that man? Well, first of all, one uh, one of the best leaders that's the English or the British or UK football, because if you say Premier League football, some I don't like that expression because they played football in England before Premier League. So, but one of the greatest leaders, uh, uh, one of the uh, CEOs of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, what he did at Manchester United, a fantastic player who kind of developed his play because he had two. He has more. He had more to his game that now we're just talking about the tough guy and everything. But he, but he was involved in many game goals as well. He was. He was a he was a great player, a great leader, and yeah. Uh, then he got those dark eyes sometimes. But I think that if you see if you see football teams now around the world, what they're missing is a more his kind of player. And yes, the the, the thing about uh, about uh, him and and Alfie was was silly, absolutely silly of him uh, to do that, uh, and. And it's hard to, um, because I played with a lot of Norwegians uh, and of course uh, I felt big, big sympathy for, for Alfie at, at that time. And I had a knock knockdown affair with uh, Roy Keane as well at Old Trafford. He just knocked me down. Or uh, to be fair to me, I was standing. The first the first guy I met after that, that was funny. Uh, we played, there was Middlesbrough against Manchester United. He knocked me down and Brian Robson was my manager. And Brian Robson said, Jan, is it okay that you, you sign a letter that uh, Roy Keane could get off the suspension a bit and that he could maybe got a, yes there's no problem for me I said it's no problem so I signed I signed a letter that we sent to the Premier League or FA or whatever and then we went in a holiday uh, and the first um, family we met was Roy Keane of course <laughs> with his family there uh, we, and that was funny and we just laughed about it that, that is football that's how football is like and uh, when I meet now Roy Keane then and again in, in Champions League, I, I probably always say the uh, same joke, should, should I wear my shin pads or are we okay? Uh, and uh, Roy Keane, a fantastic football player, a fantastic career. And what I like about him as a pundit, I, I like he's a shooter. Uh, I don't like pundits who just say, uh, water is wet, tomorrow is another day, and at the end of the day. Uh, so Roy Keane, I would love to w- work with Roy Keane. So, uh, so s- make this as an application from, from next season. Mike Chanley in Norway have the Premier League rights. I would love to have uh, Roy Keane next to me. And my dream, I say you my dream, I would like to do the Manchester derby with Alfie Holland and Roy Keane next to me. I mean, that, that is my target. Let's see if I can do it. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why Dan has arrived where he is. This is our rounded story now. Having talked about Norway as the peacekeeping nation, he's now put himself in between Alfie and Roy. You, you're, to quote De Niro, you, you're, you're good. You're good. Look, we have, we have sponsors called Pet365 and they've asked me to ask you, did you feel pressure being Middlesbrough's then record signing? I, f- I felt more pressure when I came to Swindon, to be honest with you. I, I came to Swindon, they spent a lot of money uh, uh, on me and, and I had a trouble when I arrived in English football, got a knock in the first game, didn't adjust to the game, started losing my confidence, went 12 or 13 games before they put me on the bench 
uh, I felt I had to change my my football career to find myself to to be to be a good player, and I, I nearly ended my career then because I had to save my place for the 1994 World Cup. When I went to Middlesbrough, it was different because uh, I came to to Middlesbrough on a very optimistic time. There was eight games left of the. Um, of the championship, they they were number one, and I came there. I never thought of that because I, then I had the confidence. I knew that I, I I had arrived. I knew I could score goals in English football. I knew that I would fit into that team, and I and I was just hoping that uh, that I could be a part of that project that Steve Gibson and and Brian Robson did. And as you said, I was a record signing. I came there in a in a very optimistic time. I played the last games on Ayrson Park still. Uh, passing Riverside Stadium, waiting for that uh, um, first game we had against Chelsea, where I did a bus Aldrin goal. I scored the second goal after uh, Craig Hignett, and uh, now so so it was different when I came to Swindon uh, and Middlesbrough. I just felt I had a confidence, and then the rest of it was. Yeah, doing as good as you can, be lucky, score some good. As a striker, you always feel, and especially after that Swindon experience, I was very eager to get the first goal because I felt as a striker, you need to have that first goal to get the pressure off you and get the criticism off you, so so to say. And uh, so to go to Middlesbrough at that time was a fantastic, fantastic time to get there. If you pardon me, because I know even thinking it, never mind saying it, this sounds stupid, but listening to your, you know, your robust mentality and your ability to analyse, it's hard to think of you, although you, you famously spoke recently about the, the difficulties at Swindon and what it did to you and what you came up and said to your wife and, and how you spoke to your international teammate when he got carried off on a stretcher. All of these things, nonetheless, I find it hard to imagine you bereft of confidence. Yes, I, I can understand that. But what I do uh, privately is that I run my own communication company. So my my company deliver analysis. Uh, uh, and of course, the, the 30% percentage of my job is to do pitch side interviews, which is 200% of what people see I do. The reason I say that is that because I think that, and you, you, you will have probably realized it yourself, one of the keys to get good interviews and get people to talk is that you see beyond that kind of uh, personality they like to sell you. Uh, and I can use an example. I can use Jose Mourinho. It's one of the, I love interviewing Jose Mourinho because I know when he arrives, he knows he got, I'm not sure which, which Jose Mourinho he will try to give me today. Is it a humble one? Is it a, the guy who is a bit arrogant and blah, 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 blah. But I think that one of the reasons, and I could, I could be a good example for you as any other athletes, it's all about that fight in your head between the fire that either warm your house or burn it down. It's always, it's always there. And sometimes these uh, professionals, they are so well trained that they don't talk about that. That's why I like to talk more to coaches than football players, because coaches open themselves more. A Thomas Tuchel, you can get to open. You can get a Jurgen Klopp to open. Also, Jose Mourinho open in his strange way because when he has a go at me for not seeing a, 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 a referee decision, I mean, I think that tells a lot about his personality. So I know that these players or, or coaches have the same trouble or save 
they they have the same ability to be nervous and lack of self confidence that I do. Human beings are equal. Uh, to think that some human beings, just because of their status, just because how many goals they score, how many Ferraris they got, have a different personality, that is bad bad analysis. And I had one great interview, one of the, uh, the interviews I love to do because he opened up and there's not one who, who got a, maybe a, a great reach, but, but I had uh, John Stone, the, the Manchester City defender, and he, had, uh, a, he was one of the most promising young uh, players in England. Then he had a, a period where he didn't play well and, uh, and then he came back and did well again. And this was a game at uh, Old Trafford and I think he had just scored a goal. So I asked him, John, I said, and... John, try to explain that period you have to go through when you have, I guess, a bit lack of confidence that you... And he, and he told me about that. And I, and I love that because I think that then he is a more role model for everybody else than the guy who say at the end of the day and it's all about standing together and blah, 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 cliche, cliche, cliche. Because remember, I mean... To be a professional football player, I mean, that is, that is, there is so few, you can't even name it in percentage. Just see the, the players who are coming through in the academies in England. I mean, that is, that is just a fraction, a fraction. So for me, these football players, these football coaches are more role medals in life than they are in football. And, and I, I wish more, more of them could kind of show that side of them. But that is up to us as well, Graham. We have to give them that credibility that we're not only after them, we're not just going for them and give them a stage to say that. You've touched on something that fascinates me because not only do I watch you um, on, on video clips on YouTube, occasionally we're at the same games doing similar jobs, but what I noticed are two things, one taken from what you've just said and two, one that I watch, is that you very often are in that hotspot where... You talked about a fire that can burn your house down or heat you. When you have to do an interview in what's called, in television terms, super flash, and it's the instant they come off the pitch, it's the first thing they're asked to do. Now, having been a footballer, I guess you understand a little bit more the mix of emotions, the fury. The perils of that moment are, are huge. And no matter how well thought out your, your question is, you can, you can have a train crash because... You're asking, you're pressing a pressure point when they've had no time to decompress that part of it. How, how do you prepare for that? How do you arm yourself against it? And are you completely invulnerable if somebody snaps or if they walk off or if they're rude? It, it, it just doesn't matter to you? Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, the knowledge of the game, the knowledge of the, the footballer, the knowledge of the, the, the game, the knowledge of the coach, I mean, that is the basic. That, that has to be there. That is the kind of our platform of, of knowledge that need to be there. So, so if you have that, and then it's all about building up credibility and you know it yourself. If you've been to, to the, to, if you work with the, the same team or the same player or the same coach over many years, you kind of build up a credibility uh, and you, you, you tend to know them. For example, Jurgen Klopp, I've been in interview with him now for 12, 13 years. So he, he, will, we, he can be hot-headed, of course, but I can use him as an example because I did, uh, I did Liverpool Arsenal the other day and, and he came to the interview. And, um, and I, my main, what I wanted to know from him was really because he was attacked because they said Liverpool didn't take the cup seriously. 
And they said, uh, and Jamie Carragher even started to say, maybe this squad should win more titles. And, and, and Pep Guardiola has been clever to win all these League Cups. So already in February, he got a League Cup trophy and so on and so on. But what I wanted to ask Jurgen Klopp was, do you take this person personally? Because it goes on your ability to be a coach. Because you tell your players, that trophy is not important. That is not important. Just calm down. But I knew when Jurgen Klopp, this was a nil-nil game. He was frustrated. They couldn't score. They didn't create a lot against of... Against 10 men. Against 10 men, exactly. And 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 to be fair to Arsenal with Saka, they had the biggest chance uh, at the end there. And Alisson said brilliantly. But then, uh, then you have to wait. I wanted to understand what mood Jurgen Klopp is in. I want to see him in there. I have to respect that he is frustrated. Uh, and then there is a... You have the super flash and you have the flash. So super flash is straight when you go off the pitch. I would love to do that, but unfortunately, my we don't have enough money to be <laughs> that channel. Uh, uh, so BT and Sky will do that. But but then then we get them. But still, they got that. And a lot of these managers, they're very emotional. For example, um, uh, Conte. I mean, you, you, and you can't have to find him. I, I think as an interviewer, you have to respect that, but still be sharp. But so, so for, for example, I, I think that I don't like interviews go with the first question, go big time in. I think that let's establish a stage, let's establish a bond between us. You can still say what went wrong today. Okay. Uh, describe your game. I always try to do the first uh, question a bit calm to to kind of settle it and down. Uh, and I remember an interview with Conte. And Conte, I mean, he got a body language. I love his body language because he takes every emotional out of him. I mean, I love him because he looks like the most depressed man on the living earth. So I remember uh, once at Stamford Bridge, he said to me, uh, in his funny way, uh, and I'm a, and I'm, I'm a foreigner too, so I can kind of uh, pa- make a parody of another foreigner speaking English. But he said, for me, I did so many mistakes, so many mistakes today. I, I can't believe I did it. And I was like, I was a bit again standing outside. What's my next question? This man, I want to take him to the doctor so they look after him. And then I, I, I managed to, to make my second question was, of all the mistakes you did, what was the worst? <laughs> And I, and I was like, and I was afterwards, I was, Jan, what were you doing? But again, Conte, being a football player, being a coach over many years, he, he, he answered it brilliantly. But, but I think that, uh, Graham, it's all about uh, the position you have. I have an advantage as well that I'm, I don't have to find the biggest, biggest news that should go into Sky News or some 24-7 news channel. So I can more or less try to present that. That is an advantage as well. I, I understand that it's harder for journalists who need that big headline. So, uh, But I think to, to build up, I did that with Bayern Munich once. I said to my channel, they said, Jan, we want you to go to Santiago Bernabeu, do Real Madrid. And I said, no, I want to do Pilsen against Bayern Munich. And they said, huh? And why do you want to do that? Yeah, because I want to show Bayern that I don't only go to the big games. I want to be there with the small games. And I, 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 when I look back now, I think that's the game I got most out of. I had a possibility to talk to every player, coaches. I was the only foreign <laughs> interviewer. I spoke to Uli Hernes and all that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it's a lot of strategy in there. Exactly my point. You used a lot of strategy and it links back to the remark you made in the previous answer about the media, the press, we have to convince them we're not after them. Whereas a lot of our colleagues, a lot of people in the profession, 
do go after a reaction, they want to make themselves famous, or frankly, we have a lot of colleagues who are sheep and just go blah, first thing that comes into their head or what they think they should be saying, or they're mean or they'll poke to get a reaction. And the fact that you apply strategy to the Victoria Pilsen decision to, to go to to go to Bavaria is is super smart. But I also would like you to paint a picture of of what the conditions these coaches are in to our listeners, because I know interviewers who work for various different channels, particularly in Britain, who speak to Pep, for example, quite regularly, and they, they, they don't enjoy him, they don't like him, they think that he's deliberately provocative, they think that he'll say, what, pardon, when he fully understands, and, and he'll just put in a face, I didn't understand it when he, when he did to, they feel put off. And I often argue, look what we do to these managers, whether Champions League maybe slightly less, but in the Premier League, they go from stall to stall to stall. They probably, when they're fiery and they might have lost or drawn or they might have seen a player injured or disputed a, 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 you know, a decision with the referee. And we squeeze and we squeeze and we squeeze about 10 radio ch- channels, 10 TV channels, say questions. What do we expect from them except for them sometimes to get bored or snappy? And when three quarters of the colleagues, in my opinion, having listened to a lot of them in different countries and different stadia, don't put any strategy or work in. We're often rude and we're boorish and not everybody's as talented as you. You you must see my point that I can often understand when a manager is boorish or snappy or, or stumps off. Can Can you? Yes, I think that is a very good observation. And I think uh, in terms of Pep, uh, yes, it's harder to get a good interview out of him because he... But I think that is, I think that is more down to the personalities, the human beings, and the different coaches. You see that Jurgen Klopp. You know what Jurgen Klopp would be a speech in some three hundred people. He didn't need a sheet of paper. He will entertain everybody. And then there are other player people like Pep Guardiola. He would. He is another way. He's another personality. And yes, I think that one of the, without using Pep Guardiola there, but I think that is a very small distance between being arrogant and having no confidence. So there is ways that you kind of mask that kind of uh, lack of confidence. And I think that when we expect that every coach should be fantastic in the media, as you saying, going maybe do six, seven interviews, being more or less asked the same question, uh, and you more or less give the same answers, there are people who have that more naturally into their uh, confidence, and I always, I used that as I, I was a player. Uh, I played with Mina Jakobsen, a, a little guy that played for Rosenborg uh, that we played in the national team. If we went from a bus, this is the happy nineties when there were no uh, advert posters. We just made interviews, and there was no timing. We just did them. So when we went from uh, the bus to training, uh, and I could make four interviews, he could do five. When we came on the pitch. We both had forgotten that we did those kind of interviews, yeah? But another player like Eivind Leonardsson or a Stig Ingebjörnerby who didn't like that kind of... Then maybe that will weaken their training because that drained them. And so, so you need to respect that the managers have different angle to that part of their job. Do I think that that is a vital part of their job? Yes. Do I think that the coaches are the most valuable ambassadors for the club? Absolutely. But I think that we should never... Uh, yes, I've had my things with Guardiola. I've had my things with him that he just said yes 
And I tried again and he said yes again and he just said, said yeah. So I've had I've been there, but I always respect the way that the pressure is on them. I, I did never wanted to be a coach, but I but I was the uh, the, the managing sporting director of Lillestrom, which is in my club in Norway. And the the coach was fired, so I had to take the team for six games. Uh, and I always said to the coach, behave, don't run through the motions and blah, 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 blah. First game away in Sweden against Djurgården. After 50 minutes, I already threw a chair into some wall. So I so understand them. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.